Welcome to Fast Break, presented by M3 Elevate. I'm Matt Cranny. I'm happy to be here, and I'm glad you could join us. In this episode, and in every episode, we talk offensive and defensive business strategies with some of the most successful and insightful small business leaders. So if you're looking for great conversation and new ways to grow and protect your company, you're in the right place. There's no such thing as a small business. Every business is monumental for the people who lead and depend on it. At M3 Elevate, we have hundreds of policies, but only one mindset. Fuel your growth. Zach Brandon became president of the Greater Madison Chamber of Commerce in November 2012. Prior to joining the Greater Madison Chamber, Zach was the director of the Wisconsin Angel Network, an early-stage investment organization focused on increasing equity investments in Wisconsin's entrepreneurs. Zach also served as the vice chair of public policy for the National Angel Capital Association. Previously, Zach had served as deputy secretary of the Wisconsin Department of Commerce and served in the agency's senior policy and external affairs role. Zach advised the governor, commerce secretary, and the legislature on global trade and business development strategies with a heavy emphasis on expansion, investment, and entrepreneurial development. An experienced entrepreneur and small business owner, Zach was part of the leadership team of three startups. He was president and chief executive officer of Laundry 101, which in 2003 topped USA Today's best places to do laundry. Zach earned a BA in political science with a concentration in management from Kent State University. And with all that, you can see why he's going to be a fantastic guest for us today on the Fast Break. Zach, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. So let's dive right in. Zach, as you know, on the fast break, we love to learn from awesome voices who are doing the rewarding, terrifying, and critical work of supporting our small business communities and impacting our communities as a whole. So tell us all about your role at the Greater Madison Chamber of Commerce. Well, the the Chamber is a more than a century old organization, so it's an institution. Um, We have more than 1,200 members, three quarters of the top 100 employers are our members. But the lion's share of our membership are small businesses. Um, The role that I'm in is really to be the voice of business. And our value proposition, which we call BEAM, is exactly what we do. So we don't deviate. Our our body of work matches our value proposition, which as a BEAM, you think of um, a foundation you can build upon. And at 110 plus years, uh, the chamber is a foundation. It's also a BEAM as a connector. So when you think about connecting to new opportunities, to new talent, to new markets. That's something that the, the chamber uh, does. And then when you think about a, uh, a beam, it's a projection of light. And, um, that part, and that's part of where the voice comes in, which is to be the voice of business far. So if you're thinking about putting a business in Madison or you're thinking about uh, taking a job in Madison, we're doing that proactive work around branding. Um, but also if you're here, and you're thinking about where's the economy headed? What's what's around the next bend? Can I can I cheat up and look around the bend a little bit to see what might be coming? That's the kind of work we do around uh, the economy. And then advocacy is a big piece of what we do. And every business in this region, whether they're members or not, benefits from the advocacy work that we do. And then the M and Beam, so brand, economy, advocacy. And then uh, we don't take government money. We're funded by our members, um, and so we you know we have to be hyper focused on our membership. 
That's awesome. So, Zach, I'm super curious. How does the startup founder of multiple startups of Laundry 101, how, how does that person go from those roles to being the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce? It's even more interesting because when I was in business, I dropped my chamber membership. Um, I, <laughs> I called and said, it's like a couple hundred dollars. Why are you dropping your chamber membership? Um, I said, I just don't know what you guys do. Um, yeah. And so it, it came from a, a little bit of uh, having lived it and saying, we have to do a better job of providing value and showcasing our value proposition. But personally, it was about um, applying what I learned in entrepreneurship. You know, all of the, the hustle and the grind that comes with entrepreneurship, all of the instability that comes with small business and, and entrepreneurs, and then applying that to uh, institutions. So what happens when you apply entrepreneurial thinking to a century-old organization? Does it, does it speed up? Is it capable of speeding up? Does it sit down? Does it resist? Um, I was fascinated by applying entrepreneurial thinking uh, to something that was a century-old. And, and can you talk a little bit about, because um, from from an M3 perspective, uh, we've certainly uh, proud to be a chamber member uh, and we're active and involved in the chamber. But we would say our answer to that question is we've watched this century old institution speed up. Uh, how has that played out for you from the inside? Yeah, you know, when I when I interviewed for the job, the first question was, why do you want the job? And I said, I'm not sure I do. And there were these blank looks around the room. And then someone said, well, then why are you here? <laughs> and I said, I, I want the job that I think it can be. Um, and, you know, I think it's an interesting way of looking at new opportunities and new roles, which is, um, you know, what is the, what's the future of opportunity? What's the future of Madison? What's the future of this organization? What's the future of business in the greater Madison region? And, um, you know, we had to do a presentation during the job interview and, I did, um, uh, part of my presentation was the different types of businesses. Right? So whether it's small business or emerging businesses, whether it's um, incumbent or you know, in sort of the institutions, um, social entrepreneurship, go went through all the different types. And at the end, uh, someone said, you know, you went through this whole presentation and you talked about innovation and you talked about startups and you talked about technology and digital and bio. And you never once said anything about Oscar Mayer. And at the time, Oscar Mayer was still a very large employer in Madison. And I said, because I don't believe that's Madison's future. And I'm focused on what the future is. And I'm you know, still a little shocked they gave me the job. But I ended up being right, right? I ended up yes. calling yes. him and saying, because a few years later, I got the call from the CEO of Oscar Mayer and said, we're moving. You know, we're shutting down. You know, after a century of being here, we're, we're shutting down. Um, and as a side note, Oscar Mayer was actually a great experiment in and of itself too, that Oscar uh -huh. Mayer was, um, and they, they actually called it the grand experiment. It was the beginning of it before it was called Oscar Mayer was, it was a co-op where, uh, only a handful of companies owned all of the supply chain in the country around meat production. And this was local producers trying to wrestle control away. And they built this magnificent facility. It failed, but in the ashes of that is what gave Oscar Mayer the opportunity to move from from Chicago to put the plant here. And so I, you know, one of the first things that I said when I took over was we're going to reposition Madison as a world-class innovation hub, as the next, the ground level for the next big thing, because it's true. Not because we just, it's not because it was just a good branding idea. It was 
this is what's coming around the corner and we can get ahead of it if we, you know, and I think that's the acceleration pace that you're feeling is that because we were able to predict what was around the corner, we were able to accelerate into that curve. That's awesome, Zach. And actually tees up my next question really, really well. So if you take yourself back to that job interview and, and the way you focused on, you know, all those different businesses that were the future of Madison, now that you're in the job, how do you balance supporting all the different needs of organizations from, you know, the, the one person, uh, hey, I'm just got started. I don't know anything about anything and I don't know why I need a chamber all the way up to sort of the institutional businesses in Wisconsin, in Madison that continue to be sort of providing a, a ton of value and being excellent employers here. Yeah. I, I mean, one, you're, you're, you're highlighting something that truly is uh, a challenge, right? How do you, how are you equally valuable to a, a 25 year old retail store or a brand new restaurant or a fast moving tech company that's hired its first 500 people or a company from the Bay area that's looking to, you know, to relocate an HQ two or an HQ three. How do you provide value to all of those? I think one, it's the genius of the beam acronym because at its core, what we're really focusing on um, is what can you not do by yourself? And this is hard for businesses to sometimes wrap their head around because sometimes you're just in it, right? You're just, you're head down at the grindstone. You're in the moment, uh, particularly for small businesses where chief, where a CEO title means chief everything officer, right? Where you are just, you are cleaning the toilets and you're balancing the books and you're doing the hiring and you're trying to figure out the vision for it, uh, for the, you know, the future as well. But in every one of those contexts, there are things that you as a small business owner or as a business owner cannot do on your own. And one of the things I say to companies when they, when they look at the value of the chamber is don't think of it as an ROI. That if it's just, if I put $300 in, how am I getting 300 out plus some multiple? What you have to think about it is ROC. It's return on the community, on the business community. And what happens for all of us when the business community grows, when there's more wealth, when there's more opportunity, when there's more talent, when there's more suppliers, right? So when all those things happen, what's the what's the intangible benefit to you that you can't quantify? And it's, and it's probably a vast amount of multiples over the couple hundred dollars you might put in as a small business owner. And so I think that's the, that's the framework, which is um, what can't you do on your own that we can do together? And that goes all the way back to, you know, frankly, the turn of the century in 1900, the precursor to the chamber was called the 40,000 club. And it was a group of, of business leaders who wanted to double the size of Madison from 19,000 to 40,000 people, but they couldn't do it on their own. They had to do it collectively. I, I, I think Zach, that, um, you know, for me, sort of leads me maybe into a little bit of, of my next question. So, so one of the things from an M3 Elevate perspective that, you know, we're built on um, is the principle that we need to help our clients play sort of offense and defense, um, sort of growth and protection. In, in insurance, oftentimes, a lot of people just talk about, hey, when, some, when something bad happens, um, don't worry, we'll help you fix it. And, and that's a huge part of what we do. But we realized that that wasn't enough. We also want to help people sort of think about how their insurance uh, helps them grow their business. So how a great work comp program allows them to hire really, really talented people to, to continue to move their company forward. So when you think about sort of that growth and, and protection piece, can you can you talk a little bit more about how the chamber 
uh, helps those chief everything officers in those small and growing businesses play both offense and defense. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to say that beam is the solution to everything, but actually if you look at it and you break it apart, there's a BE and an AM. And I think one of the things that businesses have to think about at their core is what am I, right? The AM. And then what do I aspire to be? And the, what am I is the defensive, right? What am, who am I and what do I have to protect to be able to stay in this position? And then what do I aspire to be is the offense. Where do I want to be? Where do I want to go? Where do I want to take this? Um, and I'd argue that you have to be good at both, right? That if, you, um, if, you're, if you're just doing one, um, you're probably not doing it optimal. Um, and it's not to say that some people can't succeed in doing just one of those, but the truly successful uh, entrepreneurs and operators and executives that I see are able to do both, right? That, um, you know, there's a, there was a, a, a joint chief. He had this quote, it's, um, you know, it's better to do something than nothing. That if you stay where you are, um, you're in the position that the enemy wants you to be. And that if you start doing something, then you change the rules of the game. And I think that's part of, you know, the offense and defense is defining the, the, the rules of the game for yourself and being, um, you know, leaning into the who you want to be when it's necessary, but not losing sight of who you are or, you know, who I am in that process. Zach, as we're sort of, uh, and I hesitate to put any phrases on sort of coming out of COVID, but as we continue to move into 2022 and this sort of next normal that I think Jack Salzwood will uh, actually at a chamber event sort of use that term. And I've uh, run with that since because I think it really resonates. But when you think about uh, looking back uh, from your perspective and all the things that you've seen from the business community uh, in and through sort of COVID, can can you share an example of a small business that did an exceptional job, maybe playing offense throughout that time? I think uh, Red is a good example. Um, you know, I think um, that's a sushi place on on West Watt. You know, I think they um, they are known. I've taken CEOs from from Tokyo when I've had to entertain companies that are looking at Madison and for opportunity and, and they've had rave reviews. I've, you know, I've brought CEOs from the coasts and they feel like they are sitting in a restaurant that is the same quality you get in New York city or in Tokyo or in LA. And they figured out a way to con continue their dominance on the high end of the market. Right. So Uber fresh, um, they figured out how to do uh, carry out. Um, they figured out how to get delivery. Um, and then they figured out how to reopen and how to use the outdoor facility. They had this, they have this courtyard that they figured out how to create a, a vibrant, um, entertaining, I mean, they had music. I mean, and so I think there's a, uh, somebody who was able to protect their, their number one position as, you know, I think as probably the preeminent restaurant in that space in Madison. Um, and it's still busy today, right? You still struggle to get a reservation. But I think on the offensive side of that is um, they have a new restaurant called Jackknife. And um, instead of being on West Wash, it's on East Wash. And it's more of the fast casual. And I think that's a good example of playing offense, right? You see an opportunity in the market. And so you own this sort of high-end, uh, perfectly executed uh, piece of the market. And you play defense to protect that. But on the offense side, you say there's a new opportunity to do something different, um, you know, to do something that even changes the market as we see it. And they moved into it. And I think that's a good example of, how a small operator um, can both play offense and defense. Zach, one of the things that I've always admired uh, about you and, and being sort of in your orbit, uh, whether through the, the chamber 
uh, or just personally is uh, your growth mindset and and how I think you've infused the, the the chamber with that mindset as well. But but how do you cultivate your own growth mindset? You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I brought the team together and I said, we have two choices. We can hunker or we can move. Right. And I don't know what move looks like, but it means movement. And we have to we have to, we're going to have to just react in the moment. Part of it was moving in, in the in the episodic movement. It, the pandemic happened. Somebody had to do something, right? There was the government couldn't keep up with the requests from business. So we had to step in that, you know, there was a lack of transparency of information that needed to be disseminated. There was a lot of rules and regulations coming fast. There were financial incentives that needed to be dissected. You know, all those things uh, we were able to lean into and, and just change how we operated. But I also, I, I think growth is an important piece. And, and I don't mean growth for the sake of growth. I mean, I think sometimes companies get caught up in M&A in such a way that it just, it feels like I constantly need, need to be adding a brick. And so um, in order to change the rules of the game, you have to be thinking about movement. And so it's not always growth. I love the, the sport of soccer. And um, I love watching soccer for the shape that it takes. Right? I love, I mean, if you think about soccer as sort of a metaphor for life or for business, you know, watching the ball uh, move sideways or backwards, that it always isn't just a press, right? You're not always just pushing the, pushing the ball forward. You're moving the ball in different directions because you're trying to create space. You're looking for openings. You're looking for opportunity. I think that's, to me, that's the growth mindset is it's a, it's a movement mindset. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, one of the, um, the phrases that sort of has stuck out to me this last couple of years is really that growth is a fine outcome, but it shouldn't be the cause. And, and I think, you know, your organization, I think so many of our clients and so many of the people that listen to this podcast are, are thinking about not just others focus, but, you know, it, um, oh gosh, there's a book I read sort of called Winning on Purpose. And uh, it, I'm a little bit of an NPS sort of customer experience geek uh, sort of on the side. And what it talked about in, in the book was the days of, you know, sort of Friedman's idea of, uh, you know, we exist to create shareholder value. Um, and, uh, and, and how today, uh, it's not sort of take it out and throw it out. We still have to drive value for whoever it is that is, you know, our equivalent of a shareholder. Um, but that's not a mission that gets anybody excited to get up out of bed in the morning. And so at Elevate, what we've sort of talked about in M3 broadly is we exist to elevate people's lives as sort of cheesy and, uh, as, uh, sort of formulaic as it can sound. That's what we want to do because we think our teams get fired up for that. We think they, they think of that as movement, not necessarily, hey, I can't pass it backwards in the soccer analogy because i got to go forward. It's like, no, sometimes back is the best, the best way forward and the best way to grow. So I, I love, your, love your answer. Zach, before we move, sort of move on from offense and defense, we talked a lot about sort of the offense and growth part. Do, I'm curious, do you have a, a, another story or an example of a, a, a business that maybe uh, was able to play, you know, had to take a sort of a defensive movement uh, through COVID? And, and can you share that with us? Eat Street. Um, and so perfect example. So if you don't, if you're not familiar with Eat Street, it's a delivery platform, an ordering platform for, for food um, based, you know, built of Madison by by entrepreneurs um, from Wisconsin. And as the pandemic started to spin up and, um, and take hold in March of 2020, they spun up and started hiring people. And so they hired more than a thousand people in those first two weeks of the, of the pandemic. And a lot of the people they hired were, um, 
were workers from restaurants. And so when you're thinking about uh, playing offense, I think they did a great job of reacting to the moment, scaling as fast as they possibly could. And I don't think it's a, an overstatement to say that um, much of the infrastructure that was protected in, the, in our food service industry was because Eat Street was be able to hire people out of that industry. They were able to continue to allow restaurants to keep their doors open. But the defensive side of that is when you think about who their competition is, um, Uber, Grubhub, Postmates. I mean, if you had to look over your shoulder and be worried about three companies, those are three names that would make you want to play defense, right? And um, and they have, you know, they've never stopped. They've re they've reinvented the model. They've gone to a W two model where they're actually hiring employees versus ten ninety nine their employees. So they're continuing to find ways to differentiate themselves against better funded, better known competition. Um, and so I think they're a great example of a, you know, it's a newer company, but yeah. you know, I wouldn't call it small anymore. They've emerged, they've grown. I, I love that. Thanks. Um, so Zach, moving on, um, you know, and this is actually a question that I've been really excited to get to, you know, you and your role and your team and their roles have such a unique vantage point on the small business community. I, I'm curious to to hear what, you know, as we, again, as we we talked about COVID in the last couple of years, but as we sort of continue to move forward and, and emerge from, uh, from that, what do you think are the main issues that either are on the minds of uh, the, the business owners you serve or should be on the minds of the business owners you serve? Yeah, I think it's, a, and I think that's a great way to phrase it is what's on their mind and what needs to be on their mind. Today, talent is probably the number one concern or not probably it is the number one concern. It's the uh, recruitment of talent, retention of talent. It's work from home. What does hybrid look like? How does that work? Um, it's also cost. You know, I think people are nervous about uh, how much of this inflation is permanent. You know, when, when will it come back down? How do they plan for that? Um, certainly what we're seeing in the, in the market writ large is scaring people, you know, about their investments. Um, but it's also other things. Um, it's schools and it's public safety. I mean, there are a lot of different things that swirl around business. Um, you know, the things that I always remind businesses um, is we need to pay attention to those things that are episodic, the things that are right in front of us. We have to address them. And we do. Um, that's our advocacy piece. But we, we need to be able to walk and chew gum. And the right. other part of it is to not lose sight of what comes next, right? What is after this moment? And we've, we've got to be planning for those things too. And those things look like how do you keep Madison and this region in the forefront of innovation and research and development? How do we continue to attract companies from around the world and talent from around the world that see this as a place of opportunity, as a place of seeking something bigger than what they currently are? You know, how do we um, truly live up to the promise of making Greater Madison a great place for people of color? Um, you know, and, and it's easy, again, to lose sight of it and say, yeah, I want to get to that someday. Right. That's important. But right now I need to worry about just hiring people or right now I need to worry about the cost of gas. And what we are saying to people is you've got to be able to do both. It goes back to your question about offense and defense. Right. You've got to be able to do both of these things. You've got to be able to address what's in the moment, in the now and solve for it. But you can't lose sight of trying to future proof, um, you know, what comes next. The issue, I think, of sort of diversity uh, and inclusion is on the hearts and minds, I think, of all of us, whether we're small business owners, employees, I think everybody is 
uh, is thinking about this. And I know one of the things that makes uh, us proud to be a chamber member is is the work that you and your team are leading on with your DHE initiative uh, and mindset. Can can you share maybe in a little bit of a, a deeper way um, how the chamber is responding and, and perhaps um, where you see your 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 role uh, for the businesses in our community in that area? So it's a it's an acronym for diversity, inclusion, justice, and equity. And the reason why justice is in there is, you know, if you think back 20 years ago, diversity became a business word. We were everybody was saying you need to you need to have diversity, um, not because it's good or the right thing to do, but because better decisions are made when you have diverse teams. And then inclusion became part of the the lexicon because diversity without inclusiveness. Uh, was temporary, right? You could hire, but you couldn't maintain or you couldn't keep. And then equity, I think, is an interesting word because in business, equity means ownership, right? If I say to you, you know, Matt, I have equity in this company, you're immediately going to take that to mean I own a piece of the company. And so equity is really about ownership and owning a seat at the table versus being granted a seat at the table. But what's the role of justice? And I think a lot of times we think about justice and we think about it um, in the terms of social justice and that it, that's a term for activists. That's not a business term. And we are submitting that it is a business term because at its core, justice is about fixing broken things, like preventing things that, um, are broken today. So they don't continue to happen in the future. And then we do that every day in business, right? If, 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 uh, if something's not working, we optimize it we fix it. If, you know, if a customer has a problem, we sort it out. And so, you know, I think that same type of innovation, that same type of responsiveness, that same type of fixing what's broken or doing it better can apply to this work uh, as well. And it's not just about, well, we need to do better as a society, right? Um, I think sometimes people think about this and say, well, yeah, that's outside the four corners of my business, right? What they're talking about is it's not what's going on inside the four corners of my business. I'm doing it. I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine or I'm doing it well, right? Whatever the reasons are. And what I, what, what part of this, and a, a big piece of this is that even if you're a business that's doing diversity and inclusion and equity work well, and I, I don't think there are too many that can truly say they're doing it well. There are people that can say they're doing it and they've started the journey and they're figuring it out. But to say you're doing it well, I think is, is probably an overstatement um, for any company. But even if you're doing it well, you have an employee for eight hours of a day and they have another eight hours where they're probably sleeping. But that means there's eight hours an equal time that you have them in the four corners of your business where something else is going on that can um, either make them fall in love with the place they work and live or make them hate the place they work and live. And you have no control over that. And again, it goes back to what I said in the beginning, which is what are the things that you can't do on your own? What are the things that it takes collective energy, collective effort to, through coordinated action to change? And so that's one of the reasons why it's so important and why it's at the forefront of our work right now is not only do we believe it's one of the biggest headwinds to, to truly reaching the potential of this region, but we think it actually has a downside risk to negate any work that you do inside your business. All the energy and effort and belief that's going on in your business can be wiped out because of what happens outside of your business. And whose responsibility is that? Who addresses that? And I would submit it's all of our responsibility. It's a collective effort. And uh, so far, it's 
you know, it's, we're making progress in, in, in that we convened 60 plus CEOs, including M3s. And we asked the question, what do you need on the outside to help you on the inside? And from that, we learned that, you know, there were 200 plus responses and they fit into five kind of buckets. And the first bucket is someone needs to convene this. Someone needs to put scaffolding around it and hold it together. Someone, you know, that we need more shots on goal to use a soccer analogy or, um, you know, widen the funnel, but we just need more opportunity to interact with and to make offers to and to hire people of color. That there's just not enough opportunity at the top of the funnel to be able to, to change the outcomes at the bottom of the funnel. We need to be able to do a better job of connecting and accelerating the idea that Madison is a place where you can belong, that feels like home. So that idea of connecting. So we've got to keep track. What gets measured gets done in business. So let's, we got to measure results and how we're doing. And then we also got to grow that equity piece. And I don't mean it from the equity, like the quality. I mean it from the ownership piece that the only way to truly have an equitable economy is to build an entrepreneurial class of color that all wealth in this country, all real wealth, generational, multi-generational wealth comes from the, the establishment and running of businesses. Zach, from, from our perspective, thank you to you and your team for, for doing that work. I, I think you said it well when it's, uh, you know, we're on a everybody's on a journey. Um, whether you're a two-person small business thinking about this topic and wondering what you can do um, to a large organization sort of thinking about like I'm doing something but is it enough is it the right thing and 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 we're really proud to uh, to support the DHA work that you're doing and look forward to to sort of seeing it show as you said you know tangible and meaningful results for for everybody so Zach thank you so much but before we let you go uh, as always, because uh, in addition to Eat Street, Red, and Soccer, I love Brenny Brown. Uh, and so uh, we have our uh, fastest break set of questions for you, which are just designed to be sort of uh, a quick response off the top to a, a rapid fire series of questions. Favorite book that you've read in the last 12 months? Uh, Decoding Greatness by Dr. Ron Friedman, who also spoke at annual dinner at the chamber. Complete the sentence. To you, leadership is? Uh, three parts, empathy, curiosity, and urgency. The most impactful coaching advice that you've ever received. If you're losing sleep over the person that reports to you, the wrong person is losing sleep. So management, mm. number one. Uh, uh, leadership, um, tell me yes, if not no, because. Um, and then um, success one of my first investors said to me, uh, he was one of the owners of the Yankees. I asked him, how did you become this, you know, multi, multi-millionaire? Yeah. And he said, uh, 90% right place, right time, 10% luck. And I said, I, it's got to be hard work, right? Everything we've ever been told is hard work. And I think the end of what he was trying to explain to me is that alignment is more important than hustle. That it doesn't matter how hard you run if you're running in the wrong direction. So alignment is important. Love that. Your favorite podcast that you would recommend to our audience? Uh, anything about bourbon. Um, it's a, okay. I, I, I'm a uh, crazy whiskey collector. So anything about bourbon. Okay, love it. Um, your Can't Live Without It app on your phone. So I have this device called Remarkable where I take notes. It's like a digital notepad. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
And there's an app on my phone that allows me to look at my notes. It's just, it's a, an, an import documents into that device. It's a lifesaver. So the remarkable app is the app I can't live with. But uh, the last thing you did that truly scared you? I uh, rented a car and drove it around Sicily. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> made it out okay? <laughs> awesome. Um, if you have to give a TED Talk, uh, what would be the title? Boy. Um, every day do something that doesn't compute. Zach, with that, that's the end of our fastest break and the end of the fast break. So thank you so much for being with us, willing to be with us today, sharing your wisdom and insights with our audience. We truly appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was a good time. This has been Fast Break, presented by M3 Elevate, where we talk with high impact business leaders and share strategies that you can use to grow and protect your business. And remember, don't settle for an insurance and benefits agent who only plays defense. You need an advisor, a partner, a friend who helps you play offense too. That's up. Like what you heard? Well, don't forget to subscribe. You'll find bonus content and more episodes at m3ins.com slash m3elevate and anywhere where you find your podcasts. And if you're a business owner or leader with insights to share, give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you. We might even love to have you on the show. This is Fast Break, presented by M3 Elevate. I'm Matt Cranny, and we'll see you next time.